I'm going to start this morning in Luke chapter 21. I really didn't intend um, to go in this direction, which will tie on to some things that we said in the weeks before we've been gone, before we left town. But um, with all the things that are going on in the world today, I I just don't know how you don't talk about it. Now, from what I understand, that's not the typical position that a lot of pastors or ministers are taking. And that's fine. I mean, I, I want everybody to do what they're supposed to do. But I can't do what other people are doing just because they're doing it and say that's what they're supposed to do. So I want to start in Luke chapter 21, verse 5. And it says, And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, Jesus said, As for these things which you behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, meaning his disciples asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? We want to know when it's going to happen, and we want to know what to look for to know it's close. And he said, Take heed that you be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. Now, that indicates to me that he's talking about deception in, uh, as far as um, the things of God are concerned. So maybe, a, uh, maybe the best way to summarize that is to, is to say don't be deceived by church doctrine or religious doctrine or whatever label you want to put on it. There's a lot of deception going on in the world that really doesn't have anything to do with who Jesus is and, and so forth. We've got a country that's divided very seriously, it seems to me. And a lot of it has to do with deception about who's doing what and so forth. Isn't it just a blessing when you see these hurricanes and natural disasters come up and the church stands up and says, is God judging somebody? What a blessing. In fact, the Bible says that's not the way it works. God doesn't bring destruction on people. But then maybe we need to ask the question also, so does this mean it's the devil? Well, folks, I really don't believe the devil's got the power to make anything and everything he wants to happen in the earth take place. If he did, why would he not just have one hurricane after another, one earthquake after another, and wipe everybody out? I mean, that's all he wants to do is destroy. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Why do we have hurricane seasons specific times of the year where these things happen instead of happening all the time if the devil's behind it and he's the one doing everything do you see the point i'm trying to make i believe at least to some degree that the things that we see happening around us and things that are identified as natural disasters is the earth groaning and travailing waiting for jesus to come back and set things right therefore I think it's safe to say, if, if that assumption or, or idea is correct, I think it's safe to say that the earth, which is under the influence of Satan, is doing all these things, or all these things are occurring, because of his influence, but not, not directly with his hand being the cause of it and so forth. 
I didn't say that very well, but I hope you understand what I mean. Well, I think people have always wanted to know the same things that the disciples wanted to know and what they asked him. When's this going to happen? And what can we look for for it to know that it's coming? Jesus went ahead and said in verse 9, But when you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then he said unto them, Nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. We've made this comment before. Nations shall rise against nation. That word is ethnos. It means race wars. Race riots and, and conflict between the races. And then when he talks about kingdoms, that's, that's referring to boundaries or territories, what we would know as one country going to war with another. So he's talking about things that are happening in us as a country. And he's also talking about things that will come against us as a people from the outside. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and the rulers for my name's sake. Now, notice it says delivering you up to the synagogues. He's talking about religious persecution specifically brought upon by the Jews. That was Paul's greatest problem in his life here on the earth and fulfilling his ministry. It was, the, it was the Jews that were after him. It wasn't the unsaved. It was the, they were the religious leaders that were prompting instigating so much of the persecution that he suffered. So he's got to be talking about the disciples. Some of this information has got to be talking about the disciples specifically and relating to their time on the earth after his resurrection. I believe the principle is true for all of us that the church will be persecuted more and more as we get closer to the end. One of the things that's, uh, that's apparent if, uh, to those that are willing to see it is that people that used to not be on God's side, not believe in God, whatever, whether we're talking about atheism or whether we're talking about somebody that's just not into God, people used to have respect in the public setting. People used to have respect for God and those that believed in God. That seems to be gone now. The positions that, that the people that are against God are taking is such that they don't think you should be able to survive or live because of your position with God. And we see that increasing more and more. So some of these things Jesus is talking about, he's talking about specifically for them and other things he's talking about as far as principles that will apply to us. I think that's important to, to recognize as we identify what he says is going to happen. He goes further and says, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Now, folks, I got to tell you, when he says that he will give to the church wisdom that other people can't resist, there's not a lot of that happening now. I consider it a great encouragement that there will be parts of the church that will speak wisdom, that will show the truth. And you shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, and some of you they shall cause to be put to death. 
and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. Now, folks, compare verse 16 and verse 18. You shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, and some of you they shall cause to be put to death, but there shall not a hair on your head perish. How can those fit together? They'll put you to death, but your head won't perish. Your hair won't perish. There's got to be something more than just a casual reading will reveal in these scriptures. But the one I really want to get to is verse 19. It says, in your patience possess ye your souls. There's not a lot of uh, information readily available to us, particularly in this country through the media and and those that are supposed to be providing news for us about a lot of things that are happening in the world. They seem to focus on one or two major things at once and everything else just doesn't happen as far as they're concerned. They just don't report on it. Remember when Hurricane Harvey was the big deal? Way back 10 days ago? (laughs) There are Numerous things that are taking place in the earth that we don't hear about. There are millions and millions of acres that have been burned in California, Oregon, Washington, British Columbia, Alberta, Montana, Greece, Brazil, Portugal, Algeria, Tunisia, and Greenland that we don't even know about or hear about. There are two republics in Russia that have out-of-control fires burning hundreds of thousands of acres. There are famines in Yemen, Sudan, Somalia, and Nigeria to such a degree that almost one-fourth of the territory, of the landmass of, of the world, is, on, is experiencing famines. Texas is underwater. India, Nepal, Pakistan, and Bangladesh experience record monsoons and massive death toll. Sierra Leone and Niger experienced massive floods, mudslides, and deaths in the thousands. Italy, France, Spain, Switzerland, Hungary, Poland, Romania, Bosnia, Croatia, and Serbia are crushed in the death grip of a triple-digit heat wave that they're calling Lucifer. We've had record-setting temperatures in California just a couple of weeks ago. By the way, I don't know if you notice this or not, but when we go on vacation, stuff like that happens. I'm not drawing any conclusions. You decide for yourself. (laughs) Yellowstone volcano is hit with an earthquake swarm of over 2,300 tremors since June. Recording a 4.4 magnitude quake on June 15th and a 3.3 shaker on August 21st. There's a 5.3 earthquake that rumbled through Idaho just in the last few days. Japan had an earthquake of 6.1. They're talking about and looking out for a possible tsunami as a result of that. The Mexico earthquake was 8.2. They're looking for a tsunami as a result of that. The beach lines have receded at least uh, 50-plus meters. That's what Beth was talking about with the 
see being sucked back. That's never a good sign, by the way. The organizations that track earthquakes show an average of 150 plus earthquakes every week. I'm sorry, every day, not every week. We've had Hurricane Harvey. We've had Irma, the biggest ever recorded. We've got Jose and, um, and another one that are forming in the Atlantic too. There have been six solar flares this week. The one on Thursday was the highest ever recorded. And that doesn't even take into account Kim Jong idiot over in North Korea. <laughs> who's trying to start a war. It doesn't take into account the 100,000 man army that Russia has put on the eastern border of Europe for their military exercises. The commander of NATO this week gave an address and said that the world is in the, the greatest possible danger, the greatest danger that's ever been existed in the world. And he, tr- he traced that back to Russia's war games and military exercises and so forth. The world's messed up, folks. And Jesus said, don't be afraid when you hear about these things. He said, in your patience, possess you your souls. In your patience, possess you your souls. And we know that the Bible tells us to renew our minds to the word. So when Jesus said that in, in, in your patience you possess your souls, he's got to be talking about the development of patience as a part of the renewing of the mind. He knows what the soul is. He knows that the Bible would indicate to us and has taught us that the, the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions of man. So he says patience, the development of patience, is critical for the renewing of the mind and retaining your peace in these last days. Now I've got a question for you. Where did the concept of patience come from? If you look up the word patience in the Old Testament, you can't find it. There's one time in the Old Testament in the book of Ecclesiastes where it says it uses the word patient. Now the word that's translated patient in that one place in the Old Testament It's used a handful of times and it's always talking about long-suffering or God being slow to anger or something like that. So where, without any information in the Old Testament to speak of, concerning the word patient or the, 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 uh, the concept of patience and the development of patience, where did it come from? God didn't talk about it in the Old Testament. But now all of a sudden in the New Testament, we've got scriptures that we all are familiar with, like in James chapter 1 where he said, count it all joy when you fall into different te- uh, temptations, tests, trials, afflictions, trouble. Mean, it really means adversity. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Where'd that come from? That was not part of the Jewish mindset. It was not part of the law of Moses. But it's greatly emphasized in the New Testament. Here's an example where Jesus told us about it. In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, he talks about the parable of the sower sowing the word. He says, the good ground brings forth fruit with patience. 
So we go from the Old Testament talking about obedience and obedience to the law of God, the commandments, and so forth, to the New Testament where we're saved by grace through faith in the work of God already accomplished. And all of a sudden, patience is the issue, or a big one. Where did it come from? When Jesus talks about in your patience possess you, your souls, he used terminology that everybody was familiar with of that day, so they didn't need to ask him, what does that mean? But they certainly would have had a right to say, why patience? Paul talked about patience being one of the key uh, attributes or characteristics of his calling as an apostle. He said, I've done the works of an apostle and provided many signs and wonders among you as an apostle with patience. Now, folks, any way you want to define patience, anything that you want to use as a description, the word used in the uh, New Testament, the Greek word used in the New Testament, describes constancy and expectancy. So patience is obviously talking about, can only be talking about maintaining the same mindset whether things look good or things look bad. So I'm going to give you a definition of patience that I've come up with. You judge it for yourself, see what you think. Patience, as identified in Scripture, seems to be the acceptance of circumstances knowing that your words will change them, knowing that the words you've spoken will change those circumstances. When James talks about asking in faith, nothing wavering, when Jesus talks about believe you receive when you pray, that's when we come under the greatest attack, it seems, in our minds, against our souls, which is the only place the devil can really attack you. Through circumstances, through, uh, through influence, through speaking words to your mind. And it all has to do with time. See, if time is not a factor, there's nothing to be patient about. Now I want you to imagine something with me for a minute. What if every prayer you prayed got an answer within 30 minutes? Would that bring you closer to God or push you further away? Seems to me that they'd leave a lot of room for people to use faith and or prayer like a spare tire on your car. Anybody spend any time checking out and Making sure your spare tire is good? I don't. I don't care about my spare tire until I need it. Then it jolly well better work. I wonder if that's the life that Christians would live. Or many Christians at least. We all know that there's a difference between being sold out to God and just saying you're a believer. We know there's a lot of casual attitude 
particularly in this country, but maybe not exclusive to us, about God and the things of God. You get a lot of people that talk about and identify themselves as Christians, but you look at their lives and it's kind of like, well, I don't know if they're just struggling with things or expect God to overlook it. So I wonder if patience wasn't an issue in our Christian walk and in our faith. If patience wasn't an issue, would the church be stronger or weaker? It's hard to imagine the church being able to be any weaker than it is, at least in America. But it seems to me that it would be. It seems to me that it would be. I want you to look with me at a couple of scriptures, some we've already made mention of. But I want to look a little bit, a little bit closer. Turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 1. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that's true. The peace with God that we have through Jesus means God's not against us. We don't have to be concerned about him trying to come after us, teach us something through trouble or adversity or tragedy or whatever. We have peace. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, into everything Jesus paid for, into everything Jesus bought with the shedding of his blood. By whom, by Jesus also, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Do we? Paul's saying by the Holy Ghost that we should. He's saying by the Holy Ghost that's the life that he's living as an example for us. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation, test trials and afflictions, worketh patience. Why is that such a big deal? Why is that so important to God? Why is that necessary? Speaking from a human side of things, natural side of things, I think it would be better just not to have tribulations. I vote for no test trials and afflictions. Because then I wouldn't need patience. I wouldn't need to keep my eyes on God in in the things that the Bible tells us to do when tribulations occur. I just want things my way. But since I'm married, that's impossible. (laughs) But that's the way I want it. Don't you? But the Bible talks a lot about patience. Jesus said that patience and your patience possess your souls. He told us that patience was the key ingredient or a key ingredient, a major component to the renewing of the mind. Now remember in Romans chapter 3, I mean Romans chapter 12, Where Paul talked about the importance of that, he said in verse 1, 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or spiritual worship, as many other translations say. And then he went on in verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove or determine by experience what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's telling us, Paul's telling us by the Holy Ghost, if we don't learn to renew our minds, if we don't develop patience to be constant in our expectancy for things that we can't see and don't look like they're working, if we can't be set and established in that, then we're going to be just like the world. He's talking about the world that has no hope. And your patience possesses your souls. In your patience possess you your souls. One of the definitions of faith that I like is unquestioning trust. Unquestioning trust. Now you know as well as I do that when we had hard places, questions bombard our minds. I think the devil works a lot in questions. Now, questions can be beneficial for you. They can be a check and a balance to make sure you're doing what the Bible says to do and operating the way that the Bible instructs us to operate. But that's not why the devil wants to bring questions to you. He wants you to question whether or not God is faithful, whether his word is true or not, and whether or not you're doing something wrong. That's the area of the realm of questions that the devil operates in. And if that definition of faith, unquestioning trust, is to be accepted and believed, then that's an indication to us that real faith, unwavering faith, takes hold and takes root when all the questions just pass by. That doesn't mean we'll have the answers for everything. There's a lot of things that we don't have the answers for. But the trying of our faith comes to the place where we simply say, I don't have all the answers and I don't know, but I believe God. What's going to happen in the world around us? I don't know, but I believe God. What's going to happen in the political scene of this country? I don't know, but I believe God. What about the financial scene of this country? Everybody's talking about a bubble that's going to make the past bubbles bursting look small in comparison. I don't know what's going to happen, but I believe God. Again, James said in chapter 1 of the letter he wrote to the church, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Paul said that he gloried and rejoiced in tribulations, knowing that it develops patience. Folks, we live in an entitled world where a lot of people that have never done anything feel entitled to everything. And that attitude is driving a lot more in our society and in our country than just the spiritual side of things. 
I wish I could find a scripture where the Bible says things would get better. But I can't find one. So we're going to have to be prepared for it getting worse, aren't we? Look at the supernatural aspect of things that are going on around us. There are historic events taking place. I mean, even this hurricane stuff. They're saying we've never seen it like this. Jesus talks further in Luke chapter 21 about signs in the earth, signs in the heavens, and signs among the stars. We've had blood moons. We've had solar eclipses. We've had things that come around every thousand years or so. I'm not sure who was tracking it a thousand years ago. So I take that kind of claims with a, a grain of salt perhaps, but at least to our knowledge, these are things that have been historic in nature. And one thing's for sure, there's never been a time in the history of man where you had one thing after another like it's happening now. What does that mean to us? Folks, I believe it's patience practice. I believe it's a time for the church to find out who we really are. I think it's a time where the church will find out who God really is. Because it's a lot of the church that's saying this stuff is judgment on whoever for whatever. Folks, God doesn't judge the church through hurricanes or earthquakes or famines or financial distress. That stuff's not God at work. The Bible says there's one way that God reproves us or chastens us, disciplines us, and that's through his word. It says the word is profitable for all of those things. That's what God uses is his word. He doesn't use circumstances like tragedies or disasters or so forth. That's not him. Like I said before, I don't think it's all the devil either. I think a lot of these things are just the result of an earth that fell from the creation that God made it to be because of Adam and Eve's choice. See, there is a time clock for God. We don't know exactly where we are on it. But one thing Jesus said that seems pretty clear-cut to me, he said in, in Matthew's gospel and also in Luke, he talked about looking at Israel. One time he talked about Israel being like a tree. In Luke chapter 21, he talks about Israel being like a tree, which signifies the nation of Israel being recreated, which took place in 1947. The other place that he talks about looking for a sign was not Israel as a country, but Jerusalem as a city. He talked about Jerusalem coming back to the Jews, which happened in 1967, the Six-Day War. And in both of those cases, he says concerning the ones that would see Israel come back to uh, being a nation in 1947, Jerusalem coming back into the hands of the, the, the Jewish people in 1967, he said, the generation that sees those things shall not pass away till all these things are fulfilled. 
So the generation that saw the 1947 events and the 1967 events concerning Jerusalem, the Six-Day War, he said that'd be the generation that sees it all. That's us. Now I wish I knew when Jesus was coming back. I've got some major purchases that I'm considering that I would (laughs) kind of... That sounds silly, and it is. But I think that's a lot of the reason we want to know when Jesus is coming back. We're looking at ourselves. We're looking at our comfort. We're looking at our activities, our plans, and so forth. And if we could just figure out when Jesus is coming back, it would help set those things in order. Turn with me to James chapter 5. Interestingly enough, of course, I'm sure this is just coincidence. But interestingly enough, patience is talked about concerning Jesus' return. Verse 7, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Be constant, be steady unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Now, folks, when it talks about God having long patience for something, that could be, and in my thinking is, an indication that God's willing to wait a lot longer than we would be. See, if it was up to me, I'd just set things in order right away. And I've asked God to help me divide between people when they stand before him, according to the things that did here on the earth. I'm not sure that he heard and answered that prayer. But that part seems to me to be the, t- the time when righteous judgment is a good thing. And it's easy for me to look around and say, they're good, they're not. They're not, they're not, they're not, they're not. But God has long patience for this. Because he's willing to give people chances that I'm not willing to give them. Yeah, hallelujah is right. It's a good thing it's not up to me. And I'd be better at it than you. (laughs) But God has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. So what should we do? Verse 8. Be ye also patient and establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So even though it's going to seem like a long time and long overdue, and you know as well as I do, every generation thinks there's the one that's going to see Jesus come back. The disciples thought that. They had no idea that that the plan of God was for this thing to go a couple of thousand years past them. No clue. It seems to me one of the reasons that Paul taught about the rapture and about Jesus coming back to the churches that he established was because he was expecting it to happen any time. And that was 2,000 years ago. 
So he tells us, be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Be patient, steady, steadfast. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. There's a lot of things shaking in the world around us. And maybe it's a good thing that we don't hear about everything at once. One of the things that Jesus said about the end times would be that people, men's hearts would fail for fear. Well, if the news came on every day and told us about everything and, uh, and all the things that are happening, of course, they'd miss a lot of it because they don't judge it by the scripture. But it wouldn't take long to shake most of the church into a quivering mass of jello. Because the only thing that holds you steady is the renewed mind, the mind that is renewed to the word of what Jesus and, and, the, word, and the Holy Ghost told us about things in the end. And I hope with all of my being that you're able to see the things that are going on and not be upset or afraid of them. A fearful church is a worthless church. So he tells us to be patient. He tells us to be patient. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 10. Here's one place where the, the um, word patience isn't used. But I think you can see the principle behind it. Notice verse 23. Well, we'll back up to verse 22. Let us draw near, talking about drawing near to the throne of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, he's talking about be aware of who you are through the blood of Jesus. Come boldly before the throne of God to obtain mercy and and find grace to help in time of need because you've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Then he says in verse 23, piggybacking on to the knowledge of who we are in Christ. He says, let us hold fast. I see that as a therefore. I see that as verse 22 telling us who we are in Christ. And because now we know who we are in Christ, therefore, verse 23, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. For he is faithful that promised. Now, folks, why would you have to hold fast if things didn't delay? You wouldn't. Again, we're back to the 30-minute answered prayer. Or whatever time period it was. Let's say it was a month. Let's say it was six months. If you knew that in six months things would change, a lot of the church would be able to, to hold out. The longer the time period, the fewer really would, I guess. But there is no time frame on this. There's no time frame whatsoever. So Paul is saying because of who we are in Christ, don't give up. Don't waver. Don't turn loose to the faith that you've exercised through the words of your mouth. Don't turn loose. You remember when uh, Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house Jairus' daughter was at the point of death. And so Jesus said, I'll come go with you. 
Then the woman with the issue of blood comes up, touches him from behind, comes through the crowd and fights her way through the crowd and reaches out, touches the hem of his garment and is healed. Jesus stops. Now here's a critical condition for Jairus' daughter. In our thinking, every moment, every second would count because she's at the point of death. Jairus doesn't know that she's already died. That information comes a little bit later. Technology giant. Did you get what you need? You were watching me, streaming me. Good. That will mess up the space-time continuum. I hope you understand. <laughs> okay, so Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. You remember him, right? The woman with the issue of blood comes up, reaches out, touches him, grabs hold of him from behind. Jesus feels power go out of him. Now, everybody's touching him. Everybody that can reach him is reaching out to touch him. But there's one person that reaches out in faith only one in the multitude with all the things that Jesus has done with all the signs and wonders that he's performed so much so that Jairus knows if I can just get Jesus to my house to take care and help my daughter she'll be whole with everything that's going on Jesus stops and talks to the woman with issue of blood after he gets her squared away finds out what happened and we have the account of it the 12 years and the doctors and all the other stuff. Immediately after Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you whole. Somebody comes from Jairus' house and says, it's too late. Your daughter's dead. You remember what Jesus said? He's turned to Jairus immediately and said, be not afraid, only believe. He's saying, don't cast away your confidence. Now, to the natural mind, there'd be no reason to still have confidence. There'd be no reason whatsoever. Jairus expected to get Jesus there to his house before his daughter died so that she wouldn't die. But even death wasn't too much for Jesus to overcome. Even death wasn't something to fear. Even it looking like it's too late wasn't something that Jesus said to be afraid of. You know, it seems like in most people's, a lot of the church, modern-day church world's opinion of God, that of all the things, all the times that God appeared, whether angels or Jesus or whoever, sent as an emissary from God, they always show up and say, be not afraid. It seems like there would be, if, if the idea the modern church has of Jesus is correct, there would have to be at least one time where Jesus showed up and says, well, I normally tell you not to be afraid, but this is big. <laughs> Don't worry about being afraid, I understand. But every time, he says, be not afraid. He told Jairus, be not afraid, only believe. He didn't tell him there was a new kind of faith that was necessary he didn't tell him well Jairus you had faith for healing before but now faith for raising the dead that's a whole different ball game he said be not afraid only believe 
Don't cast away your confidence. Hold fast the profession of your faith. He didn't even tell him to make another confession. He didn't question his faith. He didn't identify it in, or, or analyze it in some way to make sure he had enough. Nothing like that. He simply said, be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Now, folks, I don't know how you can help but be afraid if you're not believing. And that's where most of the church world, present-day church world, looks like they're at to me. But if Jesus never changes, then his message for us is the same. Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. I was hopeful that this last presidential election would bring some positive change for the country. And don't get me wrong, there are some good things that have happened. But it doesn't look like that's a basket to push your eggs in nowadays either, does it? Folks, it's supernatural what's taking place. It's supernatural that the president can't get any, either party to work with him. It's supernatural the divisions that have taken place in this country, whether racial divisions, political divisions, or whatever. It's supernatural. And that's got to mean something. It's got to mean something. It's supernatural that the elected officials that have been in place for the last eight years promised over and over to do certain things that now they can do them, won't do them. That's supernatural. It doesn't just mean that they're liars and unfaithful, untruthful people, which they probably are. But this is supernatural. We're living in a supernatural day. Now, what's the significance of that? The significance of that to me is very clear, and that is, as the world gets worse and worse, the church is going to have to shine brighter and brighter. So if the power that's being exercised through the influence of the devil in whatever way you want to believe that it's working. I'm sure we've got people in this room that thinks the Democrats are of the devil. And we've got people in this room that thinks the Republicans are of the devil. Well, I think you're both right. But this much I know. God's not going to take a back seat to the work of the devil forever. This much I know that is for those of us who are watching, as we see the influence of the devil, as we see the work of the devil taking place in the earth, and, and Jesus even said it would get worse and worse. Jesus said, or the Holy Ghost told us through Paul, that men would wax worse and worse They'd become lovers of themselves instead of lovers of God. They'd become intolerant. They'd persecute the church. He said all these things are happening. No point in praying about them not happening. They're going to happen. Don't waste your time praying that it won't be. God's already said this is how it's going to be. But with all that going on, I know just from having walked with God for as long as I have, And from having the relationship with him that I do have, I know from his word, I know from things he's spoken to my heart. He is not going to let the devil 
be seen as the most powerful one forever. Jesus is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. We know the early and the latter rain is a reference to the, the work of the Holy Ghost. And since the Holy Ghost is not in heaven to be poured out as he was in Acts chapter 2, but rather is in the church, then that means the pouring out of the Holy Ghost or the working of the Holy Ghost that the Bible identifies as the early and the latter rain has to come from or through the church, not from heaven. It'll come to the church. Well, the Bible tells us that God is expecting and waiting for that work, that powerful work, that more powerful work than the things the devil's doing around us to sweep people into the kingdom of God. The precious fruit of the earth is identified, that last work is identified as being the result of the move of the Holy Ghost. Well, that signifies power to me. Doesn't it say the same to you? I mean, folks, let's, let's just call it like it is. If our wisdom in presenting the gospel was the key, then it'd already be done. If we were going to reach the world through our intellect or our presentation of the gospel, If, be, if the church being hip was going to reach the world, we'd have reached it already. So if that's not what the thing that's going to do it, if it's not a church program that's going to do it, what is going to do it? The same thing that did it when the church began. Power. Healings. Miracles. Signs and wonders. Something that differentiates and separates the church from the operation of the world. That's what the Bible says is going to take place in the last days. Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. I'm believing for a move of God in his last days that's bigger than anything we've seen before. I'm believing for a move of God that outshines the Azusa Street revival that brought in hundreds of thousands of people directly or indirectly into the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I believe it will be greater than the healing revival. Now, I wasn't around for the healing revival, but the information and the accounts that we have of it, and particularly some things that Brother Hagin used to talk about that took place and, and how God just moved in that direction. He talked about people that even, didn't even have calls on their life for ministry. They just got in the middle of that wave and God did miracle after miracle after miracle. But it doesn't make sense that God would have saved his best for 1947 through 1958 if the church was going to continue for another 60 or some odd years. I'm looking for something that beats that, beats the socks off that. But what's going to bring that about? We can believe for it. We can hope for it. We can look for it. We can say, God, you said in your word that it's going to happen. But what's going to bring that about? There's only one thing the Bible says to do about it, and that is to pray for it. 
See, folks, if there was something I could do to get more power for ministering to the world on me or in me, I would have done that already. But the only thing the Bible ever says about it is to pray for it. To pray for it. The world's in a mess. And there's only one answer, and that's Jesus. There's only one representative to show that it's Jesus, and that's the church. You and I are the only answers this world will ever have. Jesus talked about people being able to see that we're his disciples. Not just through power, but through character. Through the love of God shown in our hearts. I don't know about you, but I don't want to argue politics anymore. Things are what they are. If we disagree on what we see in them, okay. There may be good guys in politics, but even the good guys in politics aren't going to be the answer. The only thing that the Bible identifies that will be the answer is the work of the Holy Ghost that reveals Jesus. And that's it. So what do we do? Zechariah said, ask if the Lord reign in the time of the latter rain. So shall the Lord make bright clouds. Talking about a display of his power and a manifestation of his presence. One translation says lightnings. That's what that word really means. Bright clouds means lightnings. How does lightning occur? All of a sudden, it's just there. Lightning strikes and then the thunder sounds, not the other way around. If it worked the other way around, then we'd hear the noise and say, well, lightning's coming. But that's not how lightning comes. Lightning comes suddenly, without warning, without any way for us to know what it's going to be or where it's going to hit. Lightning comes suddenly. Well, the Bible says if we'll ask of the Lord reign, the move of the Holy Ghost in the last days, and, if, and we are the generation that, that Jesus said was the last day generation. He said he'd make bright clouds, lightnings, and it would produce grass in the field, people coming into the kingdom of God. I don't believe there's anything more important for us in these last days than to live what we believe and pray for the moving of the Holy Ghost. That is the work of the last day church, in my opinion. Well, let's do that. Let's all stand and let's pray for a moment. Hallelujah. Father, you said in your word that we are to ask of you for rain, for rain in the time of the latter rain. Lord, for the reasons that we've just identified and even more, we thank you for allowing us to live in these last days, difficult days, perilous times for sure. But Lord, we ask you, even as you told us to, to pour out your spirit from within us that's where he lives he lives on the inside of us 
He dwells within the church. I'm thankful, Father, that we don't have to look for a move from heaven, but we can look for, move, for heaven to move through us. You said, Lord, that if we'd ask you for the rain, you'd give bright clouds or lightnings, sudden displays, sudden flashes of your power and your presence. You said you'd do that, Lord. You said that it would bring forth the precious fruit of the earth, a harvest of people, one into the kingdom of God. Now, Lord, you know I'm not an evangelist. That's not the gift that you've given. But you didn't say that the precious fruit of the earth would only come to those who were evangelists. So we ask you to use us as a people, as a church. Use us even as you have given to us that we may use that and utilize that thing that you've given us and see people born again. See people filled with the Holy Ghost. Father, we pray that healing would flow through us as a river and that salvation would rise as the tides. We ask you for the rain. We ask you, Father, to make good on your word. To make good on your word so that the glory of the Lord is seen and known among us. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We know what to pray for. We have prayed what we are to pray for. But we don't know how to pray as we ought to know. But you do. So we ask you to give us utterance in other tongues. That we might pray the perfect will of the Father. His plans, His purposes. And we thank you in advance. As we now pray. By your utterance. Never a badromos and dravesh shokra bakababa. Never a bomomandrovash shibet or a bosushish hidden a mandroba mandora maba. Mabadrobetir shorovetish. Herobosho shore a mamandro. Matrovash shore a bebre baker of amendro. Never a mamandrovash shore. Never a batrovash shore of atrovash shore. Herodorovandrovash shore of atrovash shore of a gingekeramame. Nebrabadromo Father, we thank you for your glory. 
You said that the glory of the Lord shall be seen in the last days as greater glory than the former days. You said, Father, that the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We thank you, Father, for abundant glory. Abundant glory. Ever-increasing and abundant glory in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We love you, Father. We seek to do your will and only your will. So we will pray. We will ask you again and again and again. We will not cast away our confidence. And we will be patient. Knowing that you'll make good your word. In the earth and in us. In Jesus name. Now let's lift our hands and thank you for hearing and answering our prayer. Lord, you said in 1 John chapter 5 that if we ask anything according to your will, we know that you hear us. And since we know you hear us, we know we have what we've asked for. So we thank you for the glory of God. We thank you for healing miracles. We thank you, Father, for signs and wonders. We thank you for the power of God flowing through us. Manifestations of the Holy Ghost. Power gifts of the Spirit. Revelation gifts of the Spirit. Utterance gifts of the Spirit. We thank you, Father, for all of these things that will reach and touch the hearts of men and bring them into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. We bless you, Father, and we thank you so much for the privilege, and it is a privilege to live in these last days, these days where the glory of the Lord shall be seen and known in all the earth. We love you, Father. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for the lightnings of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Folks, don't give up. Whatever you're believing for, don't give up. God's word will work for you. That which you have confessed and believed for, shall come to pass don't give up never ever ever give up hallelujah father we love you we worship you we magnify your name it's so good to know the truth it's so good to know the reality of your promises so good to know that you'll never leave us or forsake us so good to know that not one piece not one part not even the smallest part of your word shall ever fail we believe what you told us Lord we believe so we'll not be afraid but we'll put our confidence in you we'll not be afraid because we trust in you. Unquestioning, unquestioningly, we trust in you. Say it with me. The Lord is good, Lord is good. and his mercy endures forever. Mercy endures forever. Amen.
We love you. Thank you so much for being a part of us. We thank you for putting the word first in your life. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.